Welcome to City in Snow. This is usually a modified Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition Let's Play podcast, except for today. Today marks a very important moment for City in Snow. We just finished a full year of episodes. That's 26 episodes every other week for a full year. So for this episode, I've been torn away from my diabolical DM preparations and compulsive podcast listening to record a special episode all by myself. Just for today, I'm without the fine voices and sharp wit of Anna, Izzy, Lane, and Miranda. And I've put together something just for you. It's, it's a recap episode. It's an all-new, beginning-to-end Anything that may have been forgotten, never before done, summary events in the City and Snow podcast. So get a little cozy, like double sweater, double socks kind of cozy, take a sip of a hot beverage, and away we go. But before we get to that fateful beginning at the Salty Dog Tavern, like remember that? It was a whole lifetime ago. Let's take a brief tour around, around tour. The Crucible of Civilization, home to great giants in the spires, tall torrent orcs with their great tusks and shining cities, the martial deep elves of the Veiled City. In our sibling podcast, Legends of Lenamora, Nathan does a great overview of Tor in Season 2, Episode 12.5. So when does Sydney's Snow take place, and what's going on with the world? If you listen, you'll definitely have heard me say in the ages before the Legends of Lenamora podcast. But what does that mean? It means generations, whole lifetimes of elves, forests that grew and burned down and grew again, and rivers that have changed course. Civilizations have been built and created art and fell, and the ruins are lost under ivy and moss. In this time, Ilari is known as Anihila, and those who venture out to it must contend with the deadly maelstrom in the middle of the sea. And Althanistan is so far away from Alari. All the way west of the coast of Alari, past the maelstrom, below the continent, and then up north along the coast. That's weeks of travel by boat. And you'll get to Althanistan, a city that's already been around for hundreds of years since it was founded by Althana and the original First Bastion Mercenary Company. I'm going to try to say FBMC a little bit more, especially today. Althana's stand is home to great guilds, and in this time, it's the northernmost trade port on the west coast of Tor. In the middle of the city is a plaza with a giant statue of Althana, so she can always look over the city. Her city. And that's where we meet the group. The PCs. The Bob Squad. The heroes. Ilavara, the deep elf hermetic red blade, a specialized soldier working as the bouncer to the blushing busk bordello. Yor, the tiefling paladin of spring, an actor with Althana's stand, a chance folks acting company. Hannah, the headstrong fighter in bulky armor and an even bigger sword. Six, a tabaxi sorcerer, the Felix Draconis of his noble line. They all receive letters instructing them to meet up for a fateful trip to Fort Waterdown. This is while the First Bastion Mercenary Company rides into town, surrounded by fanfare. They have saved missing persons and arrested the lore keeper villain involved in the plot. 
and the town celebrates their safe return. Now, you may recognize the title Lorekeeper from the Legends of Lenamora podcast as a, a faction of mages and scientists. This Lorekeeper is many ages and miles removed from the title's modern iteration. Uh, she's a visitor to Elthonistan who operates outside the guild system of the city. So, altogether, the heroes meet with Carpathius at the Salty Dog Tavern. Carp, an underdressed and hungover dungeoneer, leads everyone to Fort Waterdown, where they are tasked to clean up the mess left behind by the First Bastion Mercenary Company. And on that note, who are they? What are they? The First Bastion Mercenary Company is a collection of six core masters and their various apprentices, employees, and associates. Throughout history, these titles have been passed down from one person to another, along with specific rings for each title. While the balance of power ebbs and flows through different generations of masters, currently the Master Oracle is both de facto leader and is not known to the public. We'll, we'll get back to him a little later. The next member they meet is the Master Spellwright, a position held by Halvros Quint. A half-elf local to Elthonistand, he runs a cluttered magic store called the Eccentric Eclectic. Short note slash apology, the title of the store has never once been said the same way twice. So, you know, that's, that's on me. And, of course, the current master Dragonheart is Tabithania Seaworthy, the uncle of six. As a younger tabaxi wizard, he studied at Alphonas Stand University and minored in draconic literature. He has an apprentice named Teva, a blue dragonborn who is perfect in every way. They live in a townhouse with a revolving door of family and friends. That brings us to Master Treewalker, a position held by Hyacinth Boggs, the Firbolg Druid. A well-meaning, tea-drinking woman with a sunflower headdress above auburn hair, she is the most recent addition to the First Bastion Mercenary Company and from a druidic enclave far in the mountains. And that leaves the last two, Marib the Master Shieldbreaker and JT the Master Keyfinder. Marib is an athletic, competitive hobgoblin, and her family runs the Anvil Paradise Tavern, a mainstay of the Smithing Guild in Alphonus Stand. And there's JT, an unassumingly plain woman with a wry smile, a hotel suite, and a terrifyingly large crossbow arsenal. The First Bastion Mercenary Company is a beloved institute, founded by Althana herself. They are heroes of this city. Let's cut back to the cleanup crew at Fort Waterdown. The heroes are attacked by and absolutely wreck Manny the Manticore. Carp reconstitutes, oozes for easy cleanup, and the heroes explore the ruins. In the basement, they find trolls. In the main hall, they find statues. And in the offices, they find a demonic ritual book that previously belonged to the Lorekeeper. They also find a stabby little gnome named Zirabel Turnipment. She's got magenta hair, a bag of stolen goods, and a crossbow tattoo signifying her membership to the Guild of Thieves, the Velvet Needles. And then they find the body of Master Spellwright. His wand, spellbook, and company ring, they're missing, stolen, taken, and not by Zirabel. Oh, the party checked. 
So the heroes return to Elthonistan with a captive Zirabel, the body of Halros, a sullen Carpathias, and some very bad news. And that brings us about to episode seven. If for some reason this is your first episode, I highly suggest you go back and experience the show because this is by far like just the driest version of these events outside my DM notes. And you're missing the amazing roleplay of literally everyone else. Right, so they return to the FBMC HQ, a walled mansion and grounds. And Six stops by the Seaworthy House to bring Tabithaniel and Tava along, because this whole situation is frankly getting out of hand. We get to meet your steed, a mammoth donkey named Sweetening. The heroes are led in past the wards by a nameless groundskeeper, and safely rest for the evening in the bathhouse with prisoner Cirabelle. After some discussion, which may or may not have involved burritoing the gnome in a rug, everyone settles in for the evening. During the night, Zerubel sneaks out, leaving a little ear-shaped sending stone for the heroes to find in the morning. Ilavara goes to search for signs of her on the grounds, while Six and Yor debated on borrowing the Lorekeeper's evil book from Ilavara's bag. Hannah meets some of the members of the household, including the tiefling sisters, Connie and Shiri. Both are red tieflings with curly hair and horns. Uh, Connie is the eldest. She and Hannah hit it off right away, and Shiri is a child of about 12 or so. Together, they have a discussion with Hyacinth and Tabithaniel over breakfast. The heroes all get a token of thanks in the form of tickets and plus ones to the Midwinter Feast Ball, and Hyacinth gives them a laundry list of items needed for a reincarnation ritual. Some pieces, like a stack of written memories, she instructs to Carp, Connie, and Cheery to get started on. So the party heads to the eccentric eclectic, the magic shop and home of Halros Quint and they find it broken into and ransacked with the body of the elderly shopkeeper in a pool of blood. And after recovering a few items, they head out. They head back to the headquarters. On the way back, they spot Tava ducking into an alleyway, and Hannah runs into one of her mothers. Back at the headquarters, they find Tava there as well and make sure there isn't a new crisis before they split the party to cover more ground. Ilovara and Yor go out to bring members of the company back together. First, they find Marib, the Master Shieldbreaker, at the Anvil Paradise. Then, they are invited into the private apartments of JT, the Master Keyfinder, located at the Cool River Inn. Hannah and Six return to the Eccentric Eclectic to dive through a trapdoor they found earlier. They find the important oil needed for the reincarnation ritual, but they also accidentally and temporarily opened a portal into an inky dark world. So, you know, like that exists. And on the way back, they spot Zerabel. Six convinces her to come back with them to the FBMC HQ as a friend and not a captive. So she gives Six a friendly warning about what she's seen while she was away. And then alarm bells sound. There's smoke. And the Elfana Memorial Library was aflame. The living sculpture, this blank canvas of a man, took the shape of the master spellwright, Halros. He instructed minions to intimidate information 
about the missing Lorekeeper ritual book out of captive librarians. The party came together along with JT and Marib, and he fled, leaving behind chaos and violence. But the party was able to save almost all the captives and prevent the whole library from burning down with the help of townsfolk, and they were even able to take a prisoner for questioning. It's finally night, and the party shares a dream. They are dressed by a tiefling man, the missing Master Oracle, and he tells them a little bit about where he can be found. In the morning, hearing about their dream, JT brings them upstairs to a recovered mosaic of the first Bastion Mercenary Company, the original one, with Elfana present, and also this sculpture, this face, but now in color as the original master spellwright. The heroes interrogated their captive, and here we meet Razor, a ponytail thief who, quote, can't go to jail because I have a girlfriend. And after many attempts at discussion, they finally find out that there's something terrible planned for the midwinter feast. During breakfast, the heroes decided to head to Higglethorpe, the old town, the home of Hannah and her mothers. Now, Higglethorpe is about a day or so away to the east of Elthanistan. So Hyacinth offered to handle transportation and live up to our station with some good old-fashioned tree walking. And after they get outside the old town, she heads off into the forest. Now, for those following along, we're about at episode 14 or 15. Not too bad, right? So let's try to pick up the pace. Higglethorpe, a town on a lake, the playground of the rich in the summer, but quiet and cozy in the winter. Here, Hannah's Mama Kel runs the Silver Orchard Shop, while Mama Yama conducts diplomatic business in Althanistan. Hannah runs around the town and meets up with her old squad and her old commander. Yor, Ilavara, and Six explore the shops and pass someone from Ilavara's past, the beautiful Zadir Odaga and her husband, Yano. All together, they join Hannah's squad for a friendly sparring match in the snowy courtyard of the Blue Heron restaurant, with Yor as the referee. The whole situation leads to Six smooching a local guard, Ilavara sneaking off to speak to Mrs. Odaga in secret, and Hannah asking Mama Kel to be her guest at the midwinter feast. All until the heroes were interrupted by winter wolves that broke through the town's defenses. While keeping Hannah's family and the Odago safe in the Blue Heron, they fought off the icy wolves. And around this time, a brave little gremlin of cobalt named Moritz approached the heroes. They were sent by Hyacinth to get some help, in exchange for something like a lifetime supply of muffins. And they lead the heroes into the mountains on their wee griffin. So the heroes follow them and find themselves ambushed by ropers at the entrance to a dangerous thawing mountain cave. And after managing to survive the encounter, they head down the spiral staircase into the mountain, where the atmosphere gets hot and humid. And if while editing this, uh, Nova allows me just like one more tangent, just for a moment, can I just say how much fun it is to describe places 
I love a lot about DMing. I love weaving stories with friends. I love making characters. I love tailoring a game to my players and building details of a world just for them. But what I really love, what's really the most fun, is building a place. What does it smell like in this cave? How does it differ from where you came? And how does it change as you experience more of it? This is a stage I'm making for my players. It's set pieces and lighting and sometimes a smoke machine, and I love every bit of it. So we're in this cave, and the cave gets hotter, and the rooms and halls and doors are trapped against outsiders, and things get foggy and foggier until they find a large gray dog sleeping in a sauna of a jail cell, and it sets off every alarm bell on the place. Everyone prepares for battle until... They manage to talk their way out of fighting the denizens of this dragon's lair. Six and Yor agree to treat with Jermidnik, a crystal dragon of rutilated quartz. He's served by cobalt attendants and lives in a great pool and collects memories and magical items held by scores of giant sonorous snails that creep along walls of a steamy cavern. The heroes are able to convince Zerbinnik to free Hyacinth, who's, you know, in the shape of the sleeping dog. And they come to an agreement. They will take him back with them to Elthama's stand. And he offers everyone a choice of item from the horde. So some pick out items, some don't, which is totally fine. And they all rest uneasily. Guests of a mercurial dragon, but... He's made of crystal and not metal. Anyway, it's morning. Hyacinth, Dermidnik, and our heroes head back to the giant tree and go back to Elthana's stand. They go through without a problem, but what's on the other side? A terrible creature of malice and chains and hatred waiting to ambush them. A monster who has taken Teva captive to speak for it. And she tells them to hand over the Lorekeeper's book. And who else is here? Oh, it's Manny the Manticorn, hell-bent on revenge. Thus ensues a terrible battle, but they're finally able to save a beaten-up Teva and rush towards the city. In Althana's stand, Ilavara takes a different path and stops at the great statue of Althana in the middle of the city. And uh, this is where I suggest... Once again, just like write down episode 24. If this is your first listen to the show, that's your next best stop. An episode where we explore the stories of each character as they return to Alphonistan. It's honestly probably one of my favorites. While Ilavara goes on a spiritual journey, Hannah, Yor, Six, Hyacinth, Jermidnik, and Teva return to the First Bastion Mercenary Company headquarters. And when they get there, the wards are down. The groundskeeper and razor have been slain. The whole house has been turned inside out, every bit and piece of it broken and shredded. But Carp was able to protect Connie and Cheery and the body of Halros with a tiny hut spell overnight. From what they can gather, the rest of the company headed up to Fort Waterdown to resolve the troll situation and everyone else was attacked in the night after the wards were sabotaged. And here we get closer and closer to the present, with more and more revelations. 
Hannah informs Hyacinth that after all the failures she's seen from the FBMC, not being able to protect every precious life, she would rather see it disbanded than for more people to die. Six, finally asks Carp out to the Midwinter Feast Ball. Yor cheers up Cheery with their little animal friend Lazo and just checks in on how the kid is doing. Connie apologizes to Hannah about not being comfortable enough to use her own magic, and Hannah offers to teach her how to use a sword instead to defend herself. Teva admits to not just being a warlock, but betraying them and being betrayed. She no longer has even a drop of her power. Ilavara finds an old map, a key to solving this puzzle as tensions run high. And Hyacinth has finished preparations for the reincarnation ritual. Finally. And that brings us to the present. If you're still hanging in there, thank you so much. It's a rough moment in the world right now, and that's a phrase I wish will age poorly instead of becoming more relevant or even, God forbid, prescient. For now, though, bring new art and stories into your life. Tell people you love them and take care of yourself and other people and discover new tabletop games every single day. Try new things if you can. That's just important. And who knows what's next for City and Snow? Join Elevara, Yor, Hannah, and Six and we will discover it together. And remember, what's the most important rule of D&D? If you cast a bonus action spell during combat and would like to cast a second spell, it must be a cantrip. No, no, it's it's have fun. It's it's always just the most important rule is to have fun. Anyway, that's it. Bye bye.